The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday Major on the planet with $1,001,000 on the table every week. Yes, $1,001,000 guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1,001,000 guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu. Okay, welcome to Ask Alex, episode 174 on the OneOuter.com podcast, sponsored by AmericasCardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from AmericasCardroom.com, simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the ads or banners on the OneOuter.com website. Follow us on Twitter at OneOuter.com and join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash OneOuter. This episode and all other previous episodes are on the OneOuter.com website and via iTunes for free. If you want to send questions in for Alex on a future show, then please email questions at OneOuter.com or you can tweet them or post them in the Facebook group. Alex, it's that time again, 5pm Scotland time on a Thursday and 12 in the afternoon New York time. You got it. And hey guys, it's good to be here. Happy to be here. Good, good. So let's just get right into it. What's been happening this week? What's been happening poker-wise? Have you been playing again? And are you settled into the apartment now? It sounds less echoey, so I'm assuming you've stuck some furniture in. There's furniture. I also have the door to my office closed. I have have an office. It's nice. And uh, I think this office was about the size of my apartment in Newark, so... That's nice just to have a devoted office area for that. But yeah, things are going well here. I made a final table the last time I played cards, so that was nice. I tried a few things. Well, I'll just be frank what I tried because nobody... the, the Only a few thousand people will ever try what I tell them to do anyway, and there's supposedly a hundred million poker players on Earth, and a lot of the America's card room players are Americans, and Americans are terrifically stubborn. They, (laughs) uh, I don't like this answer. I don't like this different opinion because it's too simple, and it makes my job look less complicated than I think it is. And it makes me feel like my devotion to this is not worthy. And it's, well, I'm sorry, that's kind of the way things work sometimes in poker. Right now in poker, we're at this point. You remember the first home games you played Barry back in like 2004 or something like that, and you would show up and everybody just limped in, right? I started playing in 2007, but yeah, I get your point. (laughs) <laughs> a little later, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, maybe you played in casino games where everybody's just limping. Yeah, it was Limp City, tournaments and cash games. Limp, call, call, call. Limp, 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 limp. And then one guy who read a poker site, site started raising, and everybody hated that guy, but he kept making the money. So then another guy said, well, I'm going to try what this guy's doing, and he started raising. Well, we're at the point where everybody's learning. you got to be raising, you got to be raising a lot. But I feel like I'm just the guy three-betting as much as humanly possible because nobody comes back at me. 
and everybody hates me for it. And it's really funny because it reminds me of those first games when a guy would come in and raise because everybody was calling all the time and they felt that was unfair in some, some way. They wanted to play poker this way. Why don't you play it that way? And the funny thing is, is back in 2008, 2010, I couldn't get away with three betting this much because the four bet is often like a nuclear strategy. Uh, you don't want to fire a nuke because mutually assured destruction is a thing, but you want people to think you will fire a nuke, so you never have to fire it. And the one thing that Americans had going for them for many years is American players could just lose their mind at any point and four-bet all their chips in and see, you know, let's go. Let's see what happens. And so people were afraid to three-bet them. That's gone. And truthfully, it should be gone because equity-wise, it's not a terrific idea uh, to four-bet all in with just ace-deuce suited with 35 big lines. That's generally not showing a profit. But I can use that to my advantage where last couple of sessions have seen me making a number of caches and two final tables. And really, I'm just trying to re-raise as much as possible. And I feel like I've learned a few things about post-flop play over the last few months. It's really exciting to be doing this for 12 years and to still be learning new things. And that's been, yeah, that's been what I've really been focusing on the last few weeks. Other than that, moving into this place, trying to slow down a little bit because, Life shouldn't just always be fast. Um, it's just uh, at the risk of sounding really pretentious. Uh, when you listen to music, it's not always fast. There's times for it to go slow. There's times for it to go fast. And if you think about life, there's a lot of things in life you shouldn't speed up. If you want to cook for yourself, you probably shouldn't throw everything in the microwave. And... There's a lot of things in life like that. And I'm starting to, now that I've gotten myself into the apartment and gotten through some hurdles, just trying to slow down a bit, take time. I watched a, watched a bunch of the Devils game last night. That was nice, even though the Devils look, uh, the New Jersey Devils, the hockey team I like, they're the eighth seed going up against number one seed Tampa Bay. And my God, Tampa Bay looks good. But, just trying to appreciate stuff like that, hanging out with my girlfriend, spending more time just talking, relaxing, reading. And I think it's really helping. The next product I have ready to develop, I, I think it's really helping that because I have more time to dwell on it. And when I have more time for things to just simmer in my subconscious, I find I'm starting to realize what my students actually need versus what I did for a long time and what a lot of my colleagues continue to do with poker coaching is they're just going to say things in the sense of this is how I see them. That's not your job as a coach. Your job as a coach, your job as a teacher in any, in any sense or as a professor in any sense is to transfer as much knowledge and the corresponding wisdom that must accompany that knowledge in order for it to be applied practically to transfer as much of that as possible to your pupil. It's not to look the smartest. 
And there's a lot of poker coaches right now that are trying to look the smartest. And in the words of Mr. Taleb, I think we were talking about in another podcast, who, who's got the most skin in the game? Well, I'm, to my knowledge, I'm the only guy who says I am a poker coach first, player second. So if my students don't perform, that's pretty much my business. So I'm really digging deep and trying to find a way to help my students perform the best. And the way to do that generally is to find a few things they can focus on that will get big results as opposed to here's everything I think about poker because that assumes you have as much time as a professional poker player to think about the game, which is just not true. People have families, people have jobs, people have responsibilities, people have time they have to spend with their kids. So you really have to find a way in three to five hours to give them what they need. And I always thought the more you drove yourself, the harder you pushed yourself, the more you would succeed. But what really helps you succeed in life is providing great service to people, being of service to people, even when they can't give you anything, will make you feel better. They've researched this. They've tried to give people uh, great looks, money, power. It doesn't make them happy, but if you have people render service unto others, even when those people can't pay you back, those people feel better. And the great thing about business is if you render excellent service, you get paid for it. And then you get to take more time to relax. And the more relaxed I am, the more I focus on my students, the more I really focus on my students and my mind is open and calm and ready to help them and thinking purely of what my clients need, I'm really enjoying the process because I feel as if I'm finding the answers for my students that I haven't been able to find before because it was just always so go, 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 go. And that doesn't mean you're doing the best job. Just because you're doing a lot doesn't mean you're getting a lot done. And I'm really fascinated with that process right now, slowing down and trying to do better in the time. Like, can you work two more in eight hours than you used to do in 12? I do think that's possible. When I am writing now, I used to have to fight all day for 4,000 words, 5,000 words. Now I can write 6,000, 10,000 in five hours, six hours, because I'm resting quite a bit before I do show up to work. And then when I work, it's just a basketball player on the court. You just have to explode once it starts, but you can only come off the line that quickly when you've rested properly before that. And yeah, that's very much capturing my attention right now. I, uh, I'm i also trying to cut out caffeine. I know, next stop, world peace. Not completely, but not trying to drink it all day. That's That's been a difficulty, but really looking at that now. What are you, what are you up to these days, Barry? Um, oh, wow, big echo there. Cheers, oh, Alex. Oh, Go ahead. <laughs> Um, what am I up to just now? It's funny you mentioned the Nassim Taleb again because I've been diving back into his stuff and I've read Fool by Randomness and The Black Swan 
but I've not read Anti-Fragile or Skin in the Game, so I'm waiting to pick them up. And then I thought, you know what, I'll maybe get the audiobooks and stuff. And I've watched some of his lectures on YouTube where he's presenting himself and some, I think there was some audio only on YouTube. I don't know if it was all filmed. But I always prefer when the author reads the book. And I listened to the Audible preview and it was like some guy that I think it sounded like the same guy that read the four hour work week and it was like Seneca, you know. <laughs> it was like we've <laughs> joked about and I just listened to like the first little intro and I was like, nah, you know what, I'm gonna go old school like I normally do and buy the hardback and uh sit down and read it and enjoy it and then any sort of audio uh, audio of uh, Taleb I'll just watch on YouTube and like why not you know if I go out for a walk I'll stick it on and listen to it on my headphones but I was really playing around with the I, I can't remember if we touched on it last time or not if I mentioned it the barbell strategy that he talks about uh, in terms okay. of money management okay. and allocation and I was listening to a lecture he gave on that and the the basic strategy is like for people that don't know, it's like if you imagine a barbell and on left side you've got 90% of your assets in a, in things that are 100% safe. So not even like you would think real estate or that because, you know, massive things can happen and, you, you know, the place can be condemned or whatever. So 100% safe. So it's really like cash or government bonds because in history, you know, so far there's nothing being... But, cash, bonds, etc. that are like zero risk and all you're trying to do is beat inflation ideally but if not you can just as long as you're safe and you don't lose money. His sole purpose on that 90% weight is do not lose money. And then the other 10% of your portfolio he advocates to take huge swings on things that can 20x your money and uh, 30x your money or even more. So huge shots, um, looking for what he calls the fat tails of, which, you know, I covered in economics in terms of distribution of probabilities, etc. So it's basically like the black swan event. So I, I was trying to think about how to relate this to poker, and he touched on a few things. He's like, you want to, if you imagine that barbell, you've got your 90% in really safe, secure, your 10% is swinging for the moon, not the fence, you know, literally crazy bets that, you only need one out of 30 or whatever to pay off and you're, you're laughing. And I thought, how could, you know, in terms of like money management, adopting that to a poker bankroll, etc. And if you're okay with risk of ruin and replenishing the role, I thought, well, you can do 90%. It's not going to be safe, but you treat it as um, your bread and butter bets, as Alex has called them before. So whether you're grinding your sitting goals, your cash games, whatever... And then you take 10%, like I think Alex has spoke about it before, and putting it in and taking shots in like a huge tournament, like a Sunday Million or something, if that's big for you. Or if you're at the other end of the scale, you know, at, you're a 2K or a 5K live event or whatever. And I think there's something mentally in setting that rule. It comes back to setting yourself rules and systems. And that should be freeing for people to go... Well, okay, what have I got? I've got $800 in that, you know, the 10% uh, part. Okay, I'm going to take a swing and then take as many swings. Now, in terms of his strategy, what he really means is do as many bets with that 10% as well. But I think with poker, you should just, 
you could just say, well, I'm going to take a swing here and there. And when, you know, you might win some tournament or cash big or whatever, and then just reallocate and shift your portfolio um, or bankroll in this case. But then you touched on something else. And the key thing about the barbell strategy is he says you want to avoid the middle. And that is bets and investments that they're just mediocre. They're, they're not extremely safe and they're not huge payoff, extreme risks. And the problem with that is, he says, when you're in that middle, is even if we've touched on, even if you've got an expected value, uh, positive expected value, you will go broke if all your bets are in the middle. And I just thought it was like so funny because it goes against human nature, which a lot of sensible things and logical things do. You think playing it safe, you're playing it by safe by maybe. Again, I'm trying to turn this to poker people for people that aren't really into the whole trade and investing thing, but. For poker players, I think it's like guys that do get stuck in that grinding out the $20 tournaments or whatever for however long, or $50, and just going and going and going. And they they aren't giving themselves that shot-taking or that chance of that upside. And what you're doing is you think you're playing safe, but actually you're probably not because we all know huge downswings that could come into play or you know, the rake that's getting raked off and eventually, and then you actually overestimate your edge, which pretty much every poker player does. And, you know, it's just, I found it really interesting in terms of following his work and really diving into it, and not just reading it and thinking, actually thinking about it and trying to um, allocate it almost to poker as a subject in terms of like the realities of risk again that people just don't get i mean how many times have we talked about people you know going broke and even when they're following money management they just find this like oh the game's changed and they start blaming all these outside factors and it's really just nobody's out to get you nothing is it's purely the maths and the reality of risk i wouldn't even call it variance i would just call it just reality of, of this game and uh, I just found that really interesting in terms of things he was saying and how to like apply it to poker. I, I think you bring up a great point, well two really great points, one that you really wanted to dwell on the topic, I, I think that's extremely beneficial. There's many people that do this and I've been guilty of this too which is if there's a conversation about television, I usually can't contribute because I say I don't watch TV, but I always hate that because that's really pretentious because just because you read doesn't mean you're getting anything out of it. I've read bits and pieces of thousand, probably more than that, of books and because I didn't finish them and I didn't return to them and I didn't think about them, it's almost as if I didn't read them. Uh, mm -hmm. I'd like to think that they're a part of me. Uh, as that old saying goes, uh, I don't remember the books I read just like I don't remember the meals I've eaten, but still they're a part of me. But there's a lot of things when I went back through the four-hour work week, which is a terribly dated book now, but there's a lot of things in there that if I'd been paying attention the first time would have completely changed my business I'd probably be in a much better state right now if I 
paid attention, but because I didn't read deeply, I didn't get it. So the fact that you're reading deeply into this, I think, is really important. The other thing, you were talking about portfolios. I, when I was 19 years old, I just played tournaments, and I, I made showings at tournaments. I nearly final tabled an APPT. Uh, I nearly final tabled an LAPT, the first ones. And I was like 19 years old, and I came home, and I was going through a lot of swings. And even though I'd had $50,000 scores, lots of five-figure scores before my 20th birthday, I, I kept going through like months, two months, three months where nothing would go well, and I'd be down 10K, 20K. And I just thought this isn't sustainable uh, because I knew the games were soft back then, and I knew I had a superior strategy. But... I just saw the variance, so I switched to cash games, which I do not, to this day, I do not enjoy. Uh, I find, I, I do, I enjoy the process of getting better in a small field at softer cash games. I love studying the regs and learning how to beat the regs and the fish. Uh, I did, I did get joy out of that time in my life, but nothing compares to a final table. Uh, I, I love tournament poker much more but I learned how to play cash games because the way I looked at it 90% a lot of people that tell you what a lot of people that tell you what you should be doing in poker you have to remember they come there's a reason a lot of these guys are wealthy are, are white males from wealthy upper middle class backgrounds if they dropped out of college there was no consequences so these aren't really in the, there's a huge uh what are they called survivorship bias is that what it's called Barry you read more yeah. of these books than I do there's a huge survivorship bias of course you're listening to the advice of the guy who survived maybe the the 200 guys behind him who failed have the exact same advice you don't know cuz you can't hear the guy who failed he's not there anymore but all i knew was because I did spend a lot of time around casinos and a lot around gambling. And I was fortunate enough to meet professional gamblers. And one guy I knew who tried to teach me quite a bit, and I didn't want to hear it when I was a teenager because I was immature and I thought I knew better than everybody. He said, 90% of your bread and butter bets and 10%. It Actually, I don't think he had it exactly like Mr. Taleb. I, I think he had like a 10, 20% of his portfolio that was slightly risky and then like 10%, like go for it. And when I did that, when I just stuck to cash games, most of my waking hours are just tournaments. I would play tournaments that started at 2 in the morning because everybody was just atrocious in them. And if I couldn't beat those tournaments, I couldn't play cards, period. I, I, I'm pretty sure I could have taught anybody how to beat those tournaments. But most of my portfolio was just low stakes, late tournaments, people playing drunk, playing between midnight till five in the morning if it was tournaments and mostly cash games when people were drunk. And then 10% were satellites. 10% were, I didn't even know, uh, Nassim Taleb said, put, you know, diversified as much as possible. I just knew I had this much money at the end of the month to do whatever the hell I wanted with it. And I wanted to go to an APPT. And so I played every small feeder tournament I could to try to win a seat. And I did win a seat. 
And that was one of the most exciting times in my career because I did it the right way. And then when my career became terrifying was when I started listening to all these people that said, you're much better at poker than all these other people. Why aren't you at these tournaments? Which was true. If I went to these live tournaments, the vast majority of the people I was playing against, I was a better poker player than. That does not matter. Many of those people have money from other areas of life, and they're at the point in their life that they can spend $2,000, $3,000, $5,000 on a recreational poker tournament. And if they can't, they shouldn't be there to begin with. And just because they're there doesn't mean you should be as well. But I listened to everybody. I compromised. I cheated myself. I tried to accelerate my career career more rapidly than it should have. And honestly, I, I wonder, I don't wonder too much because there's nothing I can do about it, but I do wonder if I had stuck to my guns and stayed with my very conservative strategies where I would have ended up because I did have a friend who did do that. And he's, uh, uh, quite, quite frankly, he's probably a multimillionaire. I don't, I don't know, but there, there was a guy I came up with and he's a much better poker player than me too, which is, uh, probably relevant to this story, but he did everything by the book and he did listen to the advice of better professional gamblers. I didn't. It, cut my career short. And because I was in a compromised position, I had to take deals I didn't want to take, put myself under pressure I perhaps wasn't ready for when I was in my early 20s. Uh, you can deal with a lot of problems on your own as long as you're not trying to be a professional touring tournament poker player. If you have a predisposition to depression, you do not want to be figuring that out in a hotel room in Warsaw, Poland. That's, yeah. not, that's not going to be the time to learn about that, especially when it's somebody else's money on the line and there's free drinks at the player party. So, and I hope people would realize there's a lot of people that say, how could you coach? And I get that playing poker is much more enjoyable than perhaps a real job, which coaching is a real job. I work harder than any professional poker player I know, but it's the safest bread and butter bet there is in poker. There's no game I can sit down at right now and make $100 an hour, most likely. It does not exist. Uh, some, some really... Good online tournament players make 70, 80 bucks an hour. And by the way, it's not like you play an hour on poker stars and just get a cash out, right? Like pay me my money. Like there's risk involved. Mm -hmm. And decreasing the variance is worth a dollar total as well. Maybe, okay, so you can find really soft cash games. You can find really soft tournaments, higher six tournaments. Fine. Perhaps you could make $150, $200 an hour. I doubt it. But you have to pay something of your own sanity, of your own time, of your own bankroll allocation. You can't use your money that to your complete discretion when so much of it needs to be locked up due to the large risk of ruin that comes with tournament poker or even somewhat with cash games now due to 
the fluctuations that come when you have more aggressive players in the player pool, which is what has happened to turn uh, to cash games, and especially as rakeback gets cut back and done away with, even more so, you need more money, more shells loaded up in order to continue in this field. So that's where I'm at right now with my development, which is I'd like to think I developed a bread and butter machine with my business. I have the business every millennial wants. Uh, <laughs> the thing I have a hard time explaining to them is the way I got this business is I didn't walk around on Saturday nights telling everybody I was an entrepreneur. I spent eight years of blood, sweat, and tears, 50, 60 hours a week working on it. But now that things are stabilized, yeah, you have to take shots. That's that's the funny thing. Guys are either on one side of the fence or the other, right? All yeah. I want to do is take shots, or I never want to take shots. And both are suboptimal, as uh, this book is implying. Very funny thing, too, Barry. I just bought one of his books on Audible yesterday, <laughs> and I was, uh, I was listening to it while I was doing chores around here. So... I, I'm, I'm sorry to cut this off, guys, but we should do some poker lessons. I mean, uh, some poker questions. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, let's do this one from Michael. Hi, Barry and Alex. Can you talk about Nicholas Nassim Taleb? No, I'm joking, of course. Uh, this, one, <laughs> this one is from Michael. Hi, Barry and Alex. Thank you for putting on a great show. I look forward to listening each week. Lately, I have been in a terrible funk in my poker game. I play live MTTs ranging from $200 to $1K buy-in and have had decent success in the past four years. I find myself making mindless mistakes deep in MTTs where I give away my tournament in a situation where I seem to lose my ability to make a decision. I just react and then I'm out. I'm not sure why this is happening. I can make good decisions based on a system I learned from Alex for hours. Always be betting, value or bluff, what hands can I get value from, etc. Then comes a moment where I reach a breaking point. I lose my ability to think and I make a mistake. I put great pressure on myself. I really want to win, but I know it's not going to happen if I continue making this mistake. Any advice on how to handle this problem? Thank you for your help, Michael. Well, Michael, just so you know, pretty much every professional poker player has dealt with this. Many people who are interested in gambling have impulse control to begin with, myself included. And it takes a really long time to get this out of your system. Uh, there's my actual advice for this, which people don't want to hear. And there's the advice people do take a little bit more easy. I'll, I'll give you both. Uh, number one, a lot of times people who suffer from depression, bipolarity, OCD, uh, Asperger's, anything that could make you a little bit more impulsive, uh, at the poker table they can be scary good a lot of the time because they are very much into the craft. They focus in a way that the normal population doesn't, and they're extremely good at detonating their own stacks. So going to a psychiatrist, going to a primary care physician. These are things I consider part of my job. I, I have a psychiatrist I go to regularly. I have a, a primary care physician I go to. And making sure that 
you think about when you make bad decisions in life, they usually follow a pattern of putting yourself in an area of poor health, drinking, uh, usually say some things you wouldn't say after a heavy meal, or perhaps you play in a way you wouldn't play after a heavy meal. It's always very funny to me how many people lose their tournament right after the dinner break. And if you want to be good at poker, this is what nobody wants to hear. You have to master yourself. If you want to master yourself at the table, that begins off the table. You have to master yourself in every part of life. And by the way, you will never complete the task. Very few people master themselves. That's why it's so amazing to us when we see somebody who does that. That's why we marvel at people with perfect physiques. We just think of how, what they had to do to achieve that. But if you can bring a little of that into your real life, you begin meditating off the shelf. If you begin looking after your health. The other thing people don't want to hear me say is lift weights. I have tons of nervous energy every day uh, right before I walk into the gym. I, uh, I I go lift weights Monday, Wednesday, Friday. There's a lot of days I don't want to wake up and do it. I don't want to. I do not care for it. I'd rather sleep in, drink my coffee, write, listen to metal, do the things that Alex the metalhead likes to do, Alex the nerd likes to do. I want to play video games. I don't get to play many video games. Uh <laughs> Because I don't do my job as well if I don't get that anxious energy out. Uh, running is really good. Eating foods that aren't going to make you sick is very beneficial. The best way to think of this in my mind is what does that food look like in your stomach? I like a steak just as much as anybody, but if you imagine it all chewed up, mulched up in your gut how long it's taken to process, and you imagine adding something else after that, ooh, you're in trouble. You can do that once in a while. Sure, it's your birthday. Eat. Do what you want, right? Uh, but generally, what's going to – your body is the biological being. It, uh, what you put in it is very much fuel. If you were a prized horse – you'd have to be fed much differently than a horse that's just roaming on the range. And if you want to be excelling at tournament poker, you have to realize you're trying to take other people's money. People don't take kindly to that. You're going to have to be very sharp to get past their defenses. And that means taking every edge you can get. I don't, uh, I don't like eating things that are primarily vegetables. It's, uh, there's some, some of them I find delicious, but would I rather get smoked salmon on a bagel? Like, yes, any day of the week, I'd rather get that. But if I'm eating dinner and I really want my mental faculties to be there the next day, learn how to make zoodles, learn how to make pasta sauce, all this stuff really helps. And by the way, it costs pennies. So if you're trying to save money, one of the best things you can do is just go to the local fruit market, get stuff. This is something my girlfriend taught me. I, could, I couldn't even believe it. You could, you could survive. She, was, she saves so much money just because she goes and gets the, 
vegetables that are just about to expire, and then it forces you to cook it that night. And then most of the time, you're, if you don't cook it right away, you're never going to cook it. It's going to sit in your refrigerator and expire. Uh, that If you get it to the point where it's, it's going to be bad in a couple days, you'll just cook it that night and you'll be done, and then you'll have this great meal for three bucks. Uh, usually before I go play poker, I, I do push-up negatives, uh, just squats, something like that. I always do it in my hotel room before I get there. And then what ends up happening is you have a little of that tension out of your arms. You don't have something bubbling in your stomach. Easy on the caffeine. I love caffeine more than anything on God's green earth. But you got to go easy on it. Drink water. Don't, don't be drinking Diet Coke and all that crap. Um, you know, like one cup of coffee. Uh, something like that. Drink water. The, the more you can get by on water, the better. And then another thing is just I feel like a lot of people are rushed into decisions when they play. Get used to not rushing your decisions. This is something I've been saying recently, which is very crude, but it's helping a lot of my students. I consulted for gaming companies. Typically, 95% of these people are losing money. If you're behaving in a fashion that is acceptable to them, you have gained the acceptance of losers. If you need to take a few seconds, take a few seconds before your decision. Behave as if you're six foot five and nobody can touch you. Because truthfully, they can't. They can't do anything to you. And if they say something crude toward you, who cares? Statistically speaking, it's likely the guy's a loser. And once you get used to taking a few seconds when you want, you won't feel rushed into one of those key decisions. The other thing that I find, if we're going to put a very analytical bend on it, if you have one pair and a guy raises you, think very deeply. If you just get it in after that point, nine times out of ten when a guy raises you, these days, I, I honestly, I'm, I'm going to sound like a poker snob now. Most of these guys have no game. Back in my day, you had a little bit more gamble on you. Everybody else... Everybody's a rakeback grinder now, and there's no rakeback, which is interesting to me. Most of these people are just grinding out a very small living, and I, I don't think they have gamble. I have the statistics to look at it. They don't gamble. They don't have it. When they check raise you, they, nine times out of ten, they have it. I had a friend of mine was keeping a database on live poker games so we could correlate it with live databases and he went, Alex, I had to stop keeping track of a lot of these things like check raises, three bets, because it just doesn't happen. Every time it happens, it's a hand. So what you're doing when you have like a you you have like a big pair, maybe like a baby two pair or something, and somebody raises you and you don't think you just get your money in. I'm sorry, you need to talk down to yourself at that point because I'm not there to educate you. You gave away your tournament. Say that to yourself. Look yourself in the mirror and say, you gave away this tournament. You did not want to win this tournament. You acted entitled as if your hand deserved to win. That's insane. Well, two pair is normally a good hand, so it should always be a good hand. 
that makes no sense. That <laughs> uh, that would be like if I was a if I was recruiting for the NBA and they showed me a guy who's seven foot one, and I just said, "Oh, seven foot one guys are usually good at basketball. Let's draft this guy." You don't want to try it out. You don't want to. You don't want to look what he's doing. Two pairs normally good. Two pairs normally the seven foot one guy in the NBA, but if the guy can't dribble or do the shot, he ain't worth it. And sometimes the two pairs just not going to perform in this specific situation. It's up to you to evaluate that and whether that's right or wrong. And you have to know that you have to have that discernment. The other thing you have to do is always have a really good reason for doing something. One of the worst investing strategies you could have is I didn't know what to do, so I put all my money on it. If I said that to you, if I said I didn't know what to think of Microsoft, so I put the entirety of my portfolio into it, you you would think I was I'd lost my mind. But then I hear people like, well, I had two pair. What was I supposed to do? I moved in. It's the exact same damn thing. I, I hope this stuff helps. Good luck to you, Michael. Yeah, I think you touched on it as well, Alex, at the start. In terms of other, I know from my own experience, when you've been playing these long hours, and especially if you don't play them a lot, I remember when I used to play tons of poker, it was never a problem for me. I could concentrate as well on level 8 as I did on the first few levels. You know, or, or actually the first few, you're always a bit just feeling in. But I mean, say like you were peaking at 3-4 hours in, I was always fine still at six, seven, eight hours. But then when I stopped playing as much and then went and played these live tournaments especially, and to be honest, even online, you get to this point where you you do become a bit groggy or a bit... And that's a fitness thing and an energy thing. I, I mean mental fitness as well, not just physical, although they do go hand in hand. But I would say there's... I think we've talked about this as well ages ago and... There is a point of self-sabotage almost, isn't there, Alex? Like, you just... Uh-huh. There's part of you that wants just... Ah, gamble. Like, get me out of here sort of thing. Now, I, I don't... You've played for hours. And that's a shame, because if you could remove that from... Uh, especially when, you know, you're talking, there's maybe, like, 30 players left in a tournament or whatever, and um, you, you sort of blow up like that, the famous blow-ups that people used to talk about. And the other thing I would say is probably... Just if you're working on your game and then Alex says you've got it down, you, you've played these situations so many more times, repetition and away from the table, and you know what you're doing, then it's a lot easier and it's a lot less mentally taxing unless something really oddball gets thrown up. But let's be honest, in tournaments, you've said it yourself, Alex, a lot of the situations do just come up again and again, and you can practice them away from the table. And if you've got it down, then it should be a little bit easier when it comes to actually in the heat of the battle, like pulling the trigger or folding or whatever. That's a... Everything Barry just said is right. We've discussed self-sabotage quite a bit. That's something I really want to emphasize, though, really quickly. If you told me, I want to be a professional footballer, I I want to play football, I I want to be a forward, right? Or, excuse me, soccer for my countrymen. Uh, (laughs) And then I 
I said, okay, what drills are you running? You said none. <laughs> what would we think of you? Right? You'd yeah. be the laughing stock. And yet, I, I, I tell people, like, I, I go, what, what C-bet do you use here? Half pot, why? Because that's my C-bet. What, what, what are you trying to fold out? What are you trying to do? What are you trying to get value from? I need more than that. How many C-bets have you done in your life? It, it, it's like telling me I want to be a footballer and I don't know how to pass the ball. Have you done passing drills? No, I've never done a passing drill. Have you analyzed a C-bet? Have you analyzed a three-bet? Have you analyzed an open? That is half my work, is teaching people how to open, how to three-bet, what they're looking for. Because you know what I mean? And it's not their fault either, because a lot of poker coaches are like, let's look at this super cool triple barrel. And it's like you're not going to be triple barreling every day. If you're final 19 in the PCA, my guess is, you're going to be continuation betting a lot more than you're going to be contemplating a triple barrel bluff. That is my guess. So that should come first and foremost. But if you think you want to take this to the next level and you're not running drills on yourself, get out of here. Like, seriously. Are you serious? I don't get that, Barry. I run the, yeah. the, This is why when you guys hear me say, like, I'm not that good at poker... It's because I run these drills every day with my students, and sometimes my students outplay me. They're like, what about this? And I'm, I'm too busy yelling at them about what they're doing wrong, and then I think about it for a second. I've got one student, Nick. He's, he's the world's best at this. He's a really soft-spoken guy, dynamite poker player, right? But I'll be yelling at him, and then he'll go, what about this? And I'll go, oh, damn it, you're right. And 12 years in, I still mess this up. And it just, it, it eats at you a little bit, but it, it, it's very strange because nobody else is running drills. It would be like playing in the MLS and like you're, you're about to, uh, you're about to go up or uh, let's pick a real soccer league. It would be like you were playing in the Premier League and you were about to go up against Chelsea and you just found out they never practiced, ever. They all just sat around and went, I'm a good player. Or if they did practice, they just watched their games and went, look at that move. <laughs> Look at <Yeah>. this move. <laughs> Look at that move. We're pretty good, guys. This is amazing. There's no coach there going, what the hell was this? Right? Let's get, back. Let's get on the field and run that before we get our asses handed to us. All right, Barry, let's do one more question. I like that, uh, uh, what was it, Anton. Let's, let's do that one. Yeah. Okay. Okay, this one is an email from Anton, and it's quite a lengthy email, so I'm going to just pick out what I think are the key points. So he says he's been blessed with health and a healthy family, good job, no loans, nice house, and even a flat that they rent out. He's not a millionaire, but think many would like to be in his financial position. But he doesn't feel blessed at all. The reason being is that he hates his professional career in general. He's an, it sucks. He's an accountant. And he says, after he graduated, he spent the rest of his days seeking what else I could do with work related to his studies without success. So here he is now trying to take poker seriously, but knowing deep down that I am only wasting my time and fantasizing, playing 30k hands per month at 200nl at a win rate of 5 big blinds per 100 will do the trick. But ultimately, would I ever be that type of winner at those levels? If I get there, what is the impact of variance on a monthly, yearly basis? Not to mention the uncertainties of the future. And 
he basically the crux of it is is he really wants to take his poker seriously but he feels he needs a little bit of a reality check and he says discouraging him would break his heart but if he needs a wake-up call then so be it and uh, that's it so I think it was a good question to go on to now because we've just touched on about working in the game and stuff and taking the game seriously so Alex take it from there and you, you've also read Anton's emails in depth so if there was anything else that you thought was important to touch on then just bring it up yeah and I, I thank you Barry for not putting anything really identifying of him because when people talk about I hate my job I'm a, I always get a little squeamish right about talking about it on the podcast you know this is Joe. He works for Bob's Paper Company in this specific town in Pittsburgh, and he says he hates his boss or something. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, well, I, it, you're struggling with something here that, to be honest with you, a basic poker player or a poker consultant's not going to have a great answer for because a lot of people don't. I don't think anybody knows this, which is. We have this thing in society where when we look at Instagram, we, uh, let me see if I can pull this up. Well, actually, I don't know if commercially we're allowed to do that, but I've been reading this book. Uh, they're talking about it. They're talking about the slow movement. Just there's these groups of people that have decided society is going too fast and they're going to slow things down. So we, if you're a doctor and you join this, you have to you have to decide like I'm going to spend more time with my patients, right? I'm going to spend more time chatting with my patients or whatever. And this guy summarized it so perfectly, which is when we look at Instagram, we look at Twitter, we look at Facebook, we think, you know, I want to do meaningful volunteer work. I, I want to travel to far flung locales and see uh, amazing sites. I want to have a perfect body. I want to see movies. I want to read all the books on the bestseller list. I want to go to the latest sporting events. I want to wear the greatest clothes. Um, I want to have meaningful work that I care about. And we think about all this because this is what we're exposed to all the time. And honestly, I, I think the education system does a very poor job of preparing people for the truth, which is that's not life. Life is... If, if you think about it, what we're doing when we work, there's one guy, we all need to eat. That is a human need. Okay, so one guy somewhere, somehow, is going to have to go into the ocean. He's going to have to pull the fish out of the water that you're going to eat. Now, either you're going to have to be the person who does that, or you're going to have to pay the guy who does that. How are you going to pay the guy that does that? Well, you're going to have to do some other job that gives you a little piece of paper that says, I created value, this is this, this is worth something based on this government or based on this gold standard or whatever it is, hand it to this guy so he can buy his own food and then get that fish. Now, whether you're the fisherman or let's just start with the fishing. That job's not very glamorous, but somebody has to do it. And usually the job that comes after that to pay the fisherman a lot of times isn't that glamorous either. So counting is not that, that glamorous, right? But it's also very necessary. Everybody needs it. So there's a lot of job stability in that. And there's a lot of times I, I, I sit here and I, I try to 
I tell my girlfriend all the time, like, I, I'm the luckiest person on earth. Like, there's nobody who has a better job than me. But if you guys could see what I do all day, a lot of times it's just staring at databases, scratching my head. I repeat the same things hundreds of times a year to different poker players. There's a lot of times I get really tough students that uh, per, perhaps it, are a little unrealistic or something like that. You know, it's stuff that I'd have to deal with. But I don't think anybody loves their job. I have the best job of anyone I know. There's a lot of days I don't love my job. And I show up. I do, do what I have to do. And one of the things was when I was taking very poor, when I wasn't taking care of my health, that affected everything. That affected how I enjoyed my relationships. That affected how I enjoyed my job. That affected everything. Whereas when I was taking care of myself more, my health, my diet, my exercise, then I started seeing things about my job that I liked. It was really slowly, and it took about a year, but then I started finding a lot of things that I liked. And when I drove into my job more, I, I enjoyed it more. Now, accounting... I, I, I can't imagine it's super thrilling, but it sounds like you're doing pretty well. And if anything, this gives you a weapon at the poker table that a lot of guys don't have. A lot of these kids, they're going to be playing till they're 50 years old, hoping for a house, the family, the flat. A lot of these guys feel like they're rejects from the rest of life. Maybe they'd like to be in an accountant, but their ADD is so profound they can't work in an accounting department because in 10 months somebody's going to figure out this guy doesn't do any actual work and then they get, I was going to say S-canned, they, they get fired, right? And you do have something that other people don't have. Now, whether you feel that or not, nobody feels it. Nobody, human beings aren't meant to be grateful, right? If <laughs> That we wouldn't evolve if we were grateful. Anticlimax is actually perfect for evolution. If you feel grateful about your life, you're not going to look for new solutions. So if, the only thing I can say, which I don't really know much, but I can tell you my students who have another job, they have a shot. I'm not going to tell you I'm not going to tell you they all become professional poker players. I'm not going to tell you 10% of them become professional poker players. Many of them win a big tournament and they don't want to be professional poker players because they realize the whole reason they were fearless during that poker tournament is they could go back to the family. They could go back to their flat. They could go back to their home. They could go back to the job. And they didn't have to worry about it. There's a... Uh, what I truly love to do is to write. Uh, I used to hate the fact that I couldn't write. And I hated the fact that I knew all these really wealthy people from where I grew up and all these kids and all these hipsters who just, you know, their mommy and daddy pay for everything. And, you know, they, they get this four-year paid vacation to go to college and write. I couldn't do that. I was supporting my mother at 18 years old. I was supporting, uh, maybe not my mother, but yeah, I was, uh, at a very young age, I was supporting my mother. I can't remember at what age, right? I want to say 19 or 20. Uh, just no help from anyone. And I pursued 
writing on the side. And I wrote about what people would pay me for because I had to justify the time. I wrote, I wrote about a lot of stuff I didn't want to write about, like uh, video games and uh, music. And a lot of times uh, when I was writing poker articles, I felt like this is something I have to do because it's in my wheelhouse. It's not What I really want to do is sit around all day in my beret and drink coffee and write novels, right? But I wrote a novel and I read it. I said, this is horrendous. I don't want to edit this. And I shelved it. I wrote a script. Nobody picked it up. That was that. And I failed and I failed and I failed and it, the years went by and I never really felt like I was getting anywhere. Uh, f- finally, you know, you're just writing and forcing yourself and getting there and it just nothing's working. And I, I wrote The Myth of Poker Talent. I was on a time crunch. I'm always on a time crunch when I'm writing now because I've got to stick to my day job, which is teaching people how to play poker because that's what pays the bills. That's what takes care of my family. And uh, when I reread The Myth of Poker Talent, I put the autobiographical, auto, autobiographical sections in because I was under my word count. And I thought, I have no greater example of how dumb one person can be and can become a poker player than my own personal story. So I'll put that in. Hopefully that'll inspire people. Uh, but then when I reread those sections, I didn't like them. I really didn't want them in there. Uh, it's kind of, okay, this hits the word count. Let's go. And I, I wasn't in love with the book. I'm really happy what everybody said, but I had this one book out and nothing. And then every time I did try to write fiction, I tried other things and it didn't work. And then I'm, right now I'm writing my second book and there's a quickness to how I write that wasn't there when I was 20, 22, 24. And you know what? If my parents did have the money to put me in a four-year college, I don't think I would have had it. And I, I can write 5,000 words and I can write in an entertaining fashion. I can write newsletters anytime I want. I can write articles right away because I was under that pressure. And now I'm able to put things together and my mind works with a quickness it didn't have before because I had the pressure and I see that happen. Uh, one of my students yesterday said, I'd be playing poker nonstop if I didn't have my wife and kids. And I said, yeah, and you'd be half the player because now when you go play poker, it's a big moment for you. You are paying attention. You are in the zone. And when you can't play poker, you really wish you could be playing poker. So what do you do? You study. Do you know how many guys, maybe there's no poker school, but they have rich parents that say, hey, if this poker dream ever doesn't work out, you can just come back and live with us. So they just live at the casino. They hang around. They, uh, uh, they I, I was going to say something really rude. Uh, they chase some of the women that might like to hang around gamblers. Uh, they, it really just becomes this long, drawn-out summer of doing a whole lot of nothing and playing cards. And do you think they get sharper? No, because there's no immediacy. There's no point to it. Your accounting job, I'm guessing it's not that bad. It's not, you know, it's probably eight hours a day. I'm guessing the people at your work are not Satan. It's not easy, no. And it's actually, it, it is, working those kind of jobs are, is a lot tougher than most people realize, but this is going to be your secret weapon when you play cards. 
And yeah, it might not happen this year. It might not happen in five years. But if you go in with, there's a lot of accountants or people who do normal jobs that are very interesting people because they have a love for opera. They have a love for chess. They have a love for something else. You could just make poker your thing. And when you go play poker just for yourself, just do it for yourself. Don't let anybody tell you you have to be this player, you have to be that player. Don't, don't even take that from yourself. That's not fair to you. Everybody takes a different amount of time to develop. And if you do it at your speed, if you do it for the reasons that you want to do this, then it's yours. I can't tell you to give up on your dream. It's your dream. You need to go out and earn it. And nobody can tell you to give up on it. Only you can tell you that. And you're telling me I can only get 30,000 hands in a month. That's a fantastic number of hands. 30,000 hands? I, I bet Doyle Brunson and those guys didn't play 30,000 hands in a year. And they couldn't print out the hand histories and take it to work. I wouldn't advocate time theft, but if you're on your break... You can go into something, or if you're just doing data entry, you can listen to a podcast or something. But when I was working security, this is a lot of times I was just doing busy work. You know, I wasn't watching 20 screens at once. I was just walking my rounds. I'd listen. Uh, I, I'd listen to my podcast, or I'd write things down. I always tried to do it in as few bullet points as possible, and just memorize those bullet points until they were seared into my soul. And I never did it for the money. I think that was my secret weapon, which was I wanted money. Don't get me wrong. I wanted a job at a poker that didn't require getting a $60,000 education I couldn't pay for, but I just did it because I liked playing cards. I liked trying to solve puzzles. I liked trying to mess up tables. I liked, I liked it when people got angry at me. I liked knowing I was doing things people didn't like because it was just fun to see if you could crack the game. If you just foster that curiosity, don't, all these expectations kill your curiosity. They kill your love for the game. If you love playing poker, don't let anybody take that from you. Take care of the family. Take care of the kids. Take care of your job. Those, those all come first. But if what you have each day is one hour, make that one hour work. Study. Study. Really study. Get a lot out of the content. A lot of people have watched every training video on the internet. They're not great players. You know why? Because they're doing it for entertainment. A lot of my friends have watched five training videos in their life. But like three were worthless. One got them on an amazing idea and they ran with it. And then they found all the answers for themselves. And j just like you're, you're probably feeling it's so slow, it wasn't fast for any of these guys. All of my friends who are hyper successful at poker, it was all so slow. And one of the worst things that happened to a bunch of them is they got a ton of success early because it threw their expectation center out the window. And they didn't know what they were supposed to be doing. And they lost that drive to study. When you're deep in a poker tournament and you can go home to the flat, the kids, the beautiful wife, the home, that's a weapon. That's a weapon. These kids who dropped out of college and mom and dad are kind of wondering what this kid's going to do if at 28 years old he has no degree, he has no resume, he has nothing, how he's ever going to find a job, and every girl he dates doesn't really think he's serious. He's playing with a gun to his head. If he doesn't win, the last eight years of his life are worthless. You don't have that. 
You can be free if you bust. Who cares? And you know what happens if you can bust? If you can just fail? You can find profit in that failure. We were talking about blow-ups earlier. I've blown up deeper in tournaments more than anybody I know, and I wouldn't trade it in the world because I've profited from each one of those blow-ups. I've learned from them. It is a learning experience to go deep in a tournament and not succeed, to blow up, to reevaluate it, but you must reevaluate it. You must look deeply into those hands and ask yourself, what happened? And you're going to need to feed tools to this system. You're going to have to seek answers beyond me, beyond anyone. And you have to question every single poker coach because we all can get it wrong. You need to think independently. And you have to just find a joy from thinking independently. It has to be every, most people don't like their jobs. It's, I don't think it's possible to do anything 40, 50 hours a week your entire life and love it. I bet people, I can tell you that when I was reviewing video games and they would literally pay me money to play video games. And a lot of times the video games were very fun. I hated video games. I didn't play video games for years because I hated them so much. Because all I did all day was play video games. So whatever you do, you're not running from the accounting job. You're running from yourself. Because whatever you do is going to be tough. And even if you played poker eight hours, ten hours a day, you'd likely learn to hate poker. So you have to find a way to accept, I'm not going to love this part of my life, but I am going to love this passion I have in poker or whatever else it's going to be, cooking or whatever. And then you have to make sure you are doing the right things to enjoy it as much as possible, taking care of your body, not consuming too much alcohol, not consuming drugs, eating well, sleeping well, exercising well. Good luck to you, Anton. Yeah, Anton, um, to paraphrase, what Alex is saying is the wife and kids, they got to go. Like, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I said, Barry. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah. Good cliff notes. Yeah, yeah. No, just in summation, I would say, like, I don't know many poker players that own their own home and another flat to rent out and stuff. You're doing great. Um, like Alex says, your day job, everyone's day job, the mundane, it can just start becoming that, but... Yeah, use that as your advantage. Use that as your competitive advantage, like Alex has said. Good luck to you. Write in again in a few months and let us know what's been happening. Keep in touch. Uh, Alex, how can people like Anton and others get in touch with you about some of your materials and stuff to really actually work on their game rather than just fantasizing about it? Write me at alex at pokerheadrush.com if you guys have any questions. Sign up for my newsletter at my butt ugly blog, pokerheadrush.com. In the top right, just put in your uh, email address and you'll get much more beautiful emails sent to you pretty much every day with either articles, videos, podcasts, what have you, uh, all having to do with strategy content. Uh, sign up for that. I think you'll really enjoy it. I have my spring sale going on right now. Everything is 50 to 75% off. You can see that at gumroad.com slash assassinato. I want to say I probably should know the I should probably know the sign into my own side. But anyway, you can write me at alex at pokerheadrush.com uh, if you want to ask me. Yeah, it's assassinato. I'm still uh, ass, ass, I North American Trade Organization. And, uh, yeah, and, yeah, guys, I think you can also press the 
the link that's going to be underneath this episode. And thank you for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Okay. Um, thanks for listening. Keep your questions coming in for Alex for next week. Questions at oneouter.com, and we will get them read out on a future show. Until then, cheers. Cheers. The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday Major on the planet with $1,001,000 on the table every week. Yes, $1,001,000 guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1,001,000 guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu.